The Kicking and Screening Film Festival has kicked off this week with some new soccer flicks June 4th through the 7th at the Scandinavian House in Manhattan. Last week, we spoke with KNS co-founder Greg Lavas and also Tom McCabe, the producer of the closing act on Friday night, Soccer Town USA. On Thursday, the featured movie is Coach. The protagonist is Tracy Ham. She's got a fantastic story told on this film, and she'll share some of her tale with us later in the program. It's the international break in Major League Soccer, but New York City FC will have one more match before a 22-day respite. Thursday night football at Yankee Stadium. The Pigeons, they'll host expansion side FC Cincinnati. It's Pride Night in the Bronx with kickoff at 7.08 p.m. Eastern. In goal for New York City, it'll probably be Brad Stuver with regular goalkeeper Sean Johnson away on international duty with the U.S. men's national team. Stuver has been in MLS for six seasons, four with Columbus Crew SC and the last two with NYCFC. In all, he has a total of four regular season appearances. Such is the life of the backup goalkeeper. I caught up with Brad after Monday's training session. So, Brad, uh, it's never safe to assume things, but with Sean Johnson away, uh, we would all expect that you'd be starting against FC Cincinnati on Thursday. Have you gotten that definitive word yet? Uh, I know that with Sean gone, I've been sitting back up, and I know the coach has been happy with my performance and training, so uh, we normally don't get the like the official announcement of starting lineup until the night before the game, so I'm just going to prepare like I do every week, and when if my name gets called, I'll be ready. Let's talk a little bit about the life of a backup keeper. I mean, it's it's difficult. Field players, they seem to get more opportunities in a reserve role, while a goalkeeper, if there's a number one and he's getting it done, the number two just kind of, you know, tries to prepare. But but really, that's a that's sort of a, a difficult athletic life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of the life that we sign up for. Um, some goalkeepers get uh, the early break and they start when they get into the league and then they hold on to that title others kind of have to battle their way up I mean I started fourth string my first year and I've worked my way up to two um, now with Sean getting called into national team uh, there's some games that are available to play so you just have to stay patient and stay ready can you describe some of the strategies that you use personally really to stay ready I mean you're not you're not playing games so that's you always hear about the goalkeeper position. It's about playing the games. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just we train so much that you kind of get into a rhythm. Um, I've learned the past couple years that you just have to prepare yourself like you're the starter. And then on game day, if you sit the bench, it's easy to click your brain off instead of having to click your brain on. So it's just one of those things where you just prepare as a starter. You're just not playing the games. Does it help that... Uh, You've had experience as a keeper coach. I know you, while you were with Columbus, you uh, you did some coaching on the side. Yeah, uh, I mean, coaching definitely opened my eyes to the other side of the game. Um, just helping guys learn the ropes of like what I've gone through, giving back what I've learned. Um, it's been valuable and it's opened my eyes a little bit and helped me progress as a player. And there is a goalkeeper's union, right? I mean, that's a, that's a real thing. You guys stick together. Always. <laughs> Always. What are the things, though, that um, so you if you're talking to a young keeper and, you know, and they're not the number one, you know, what 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 can you you know, you've experienced that. What what are the main things that you would say to a young keeper? Uh, just stay patient, uh, work hard every day because you never know what's going to happen um, on any given day. One injury 
one bad game, one just coach. We have three games in a week, one decision by the coach, and you're in the game. So it's always better to over-prepare, and then you're ready to go at all times. Do you find yourself, when you're on the bench and you're watching the games, that you're really you're preparing yourself for that moment and learning what the opponent's doing. I mean, like you said, you're preparing every week, but uh, the studying is really important. Yeah, I mean, during the game, the guys on the bench are always looking at the their position and seeing the matchups that if they go in the game, what's happening. So I'm watching Sean, how he plays out of the back, what balls are working, what balls aren't working. Um, there's communication with the goalkeeper coach, Dome, and the rest of the staff on the sideline, like what we need to be doing on the field. So if something happens during the game, everyone on the bench knows like, okay, when you go in, this is what we need to fix. Do you ever convene with Sean at halftime and, and kind of uh, give, give, you, uh, give him some of your observations? Yeah, at halftime, like Rob, Sean, and I always try and walk off the field together to talk about like what we saw from the sideline, what um, Dome is trying to implement for the second half, uh, what Sean saw, because the perception of the game is very different from the sideline versus what he sees. So it's one of those where we see what he thought was going on. We give him our input of like what we think can go better. And then he goes into the second half with more eyes. Since a lot of the supporters really haven't seen you too much in action, what uh, what can we prepare ourselves for on Thursday? What uh, what what kind of keeper are you? <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. Um, no, but I mean every goalkeeper is different. Uh, I mean I'm not Sean Johnson. Sean's like no other goalkeeper in the league. Um, I'm just going to go in and implement the style that we have and keep our team moving in the right direction. Hopefully we can stay undefeated at home and get three points for our fans. There's an emphasis on the goalkeeper playing uh, with his feet here in this system. So uh, when did you start feeling comfortable with that during the course of your career? When did it start getting emphasized? Uh, For me, it was really early. So I was in Greg Berhalter's system my second year in Columbus. So second year as a pro, I got thrown into the fire of his system. Goalkeepers playing out of the back with everything. So, I mean, it's been about six seasons now where I've been in a system where the goalkeeper has to have good feet. So that's one of the areas of my game where I'm very confident. I like the style that we play. And uh, hopefully there's no difference between me and Sean when it comes to playing out of the back. That was one of the things Burholter said about Sean when he brought him in the first time is that his feet improved from the time he was in Chicago to New York City. Yeah, Sean has done a lot of work with his feet. I mean, Chicago didn't really play out of the back the time he was there. Um, toward the end, they started trying to play a little bit out of the back, but as soon as Sean came to New York City, he evolved so quickly. And I mean, credit to him because it's very difficult to learn how to play with your feet because once you're in a rhythm, like you kind of stay with it. But Sean was able to get outside of his comfort zone and now he's probably one of the best goalkeepers in the league with his feet. It's interesting, two guys that you've kind of sat behind are now both at national camp, Zach Steffen and, uh, and Sean Johnson. Yeah, we always joke that I've kind of had bad luck just like sitting behind the guys. So, I mean, when I sat behind Steve Clark, uh, his name was being brought up for national team and he was an Iron Man, didn't really get injured at all. Then I sat behind Steph and he was national team, never got injured. And now I'm sitting behind Sean and he's national team and never getting injured. So, I mean, it's a good thing to be uh, those guys push me to be better, and it's just part of being a goalkeeper. With that in mind, uh, this is a, a fairly big moment for you on Thursday, getting a chance to, to be in the 11 and, and help the team maybe get a, a win before the break. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I mean, we've been preparing all year. I 
I got a couple games last year, so I got my feet wet with this team. Um, super confident going in with the guys. Um, I'm just happy to be able to get some games here. Final thought, uh, you're Ohio native and a lot of hugs and kisses uh, at, at Columbus over the weekend. Yeah, there's a, I mean, I was there for five years. I got to know, got to know the fans extremely well. It's a really tight-knit community, so it's a little different. Um, staff and players are still there, so it was just nice seeing all those guys again. Stuver has been on the bench as Sean Johnson's backup in all 13 matches this season, which makes him the likely choice for Thursday's match. Although head coach Dome Terrell said on Monday that he must consult first with goalkeeper coach Rob Vartugian. Yeah, it's a change for Brad and uh, even for Luis. We have to decide in the last moment, but, but my feeling is we have uh, the right keepers right now. Three. Uh, Amazing keepers is uh, Sean, uh, Brad, and, and Luis. And after that, I have to to speak about that with uh, Rob because he's the, you know, he's the, he's the, he's the boss in that moment when he decides to play in the keeper. But uh, I have to ask him about that. But uh, doesn't matter because uh, uh, I'm sure uh, both players uh, are ready to play. Luis is Luis Barraza. City traded up to select the Marquette University product 12th overall in January's MLS Super Draft. New York City is unbeaten in nine straight, the longest active streak in MLS. Airtime, 645 Eastern for the radio commentary of NYCFC versus FC Cincinnati. Join me with former Millwall and Crystal Palace Central defender Maddie Lawrence, locally on WNYE 91.5 FM in New York and worldwide on the New York City FC Network and tune in and also Sirius XM FC Channel 157. That same night at the Scandinavian House on Park Avenue, the movie Coach will be shown as part of the Kicking and Screening Film Festival. Tracy Ham is the focus of this one. The former coach at San Francisco State, recently named at the University of California at Davis. Tracy, uh, great to meet you and, and, and welcome to the program. Uh, I, I think before we uh, get into the movie, we need to get into your background a little bit more, both as a, as a player and a coach. So this uh, this game of soccer has been a pretty major part of your life, it sounds. It has been. It's been a huge part of my life and taken me all over the world and given me lots of opportunities, made my best friends in the world through soccer. So it's been a huge part of my life. Absolutely. So what uh, on the playing side, uh, you've uh, you've played at high levels. Uh, describe some of those experiences and then where along the line did you say, well, when it all ends, I want to coach? Well, yeah, I, I played, um, you know, obviously in college and then I played the pro league for two years and played in the WPSL for, I think, six or seven years. And um, I was when I was in Atlanta, um, when the WPS was still in existence, um, you know, there was kind of the writing on the wall that the league might fold. Uh, so while I was there, um, I applied to grad school at Boston University to get my master's in sports psych. So after the second season, you know, I was like, maybe maybe I should kind of think about my future and what I want to do past soccer. Um, and I'd gotten really great advice from um, actually from Neil McGuire, who's the head coach at Cal. And you know, he was like, if you want coaching to be in your future, this is when I was his assistant. He's like, you got to do whatever you can to kind of get yourself a head start. And he's like, I think it's really important if you get a master's degree and get your licenses. So 
um, yeah, I applied to, to grad school and I actually wanted to be a sports psychologist. Um, I thought that I always kind of had a good grasp on the mental side of the game. Um, and after going through that program, it was fantastic. I, I learned so much, but I realized that I'm not super interested in like listening to people's feelings. All the time. <laughs> um, I thought that I would probably be way more effective kind of taking what I learned and putting it on the field. And I, I also realized, you know, that one year away from soccer that, you know, that was a not being on the f- the field felt like there was a big part of my, my day and my life missing. So, um, you know, after after that experience, I couldn't wait to start, you know, kind of forging this path, coaching and, and making that my career. Although I would imagine that your sports psychology studies have aided you in the coaching process. We all know that uh, <laughs> there are a lot of those moments where uh, it's good to have that kind of background. Absolutely. I mean, I use I use what I learned during that program. I mean, every single day, I think. And, you know, one of the most important takeaways was really that, you know, you're dealing as much as you're dealing with the team, you're also dealing with individuals and everybody learns differently and everybody takes information differently. Um, So as important it is to, you know, coach the team, it's also really important to coach the individual, um, you know, to help them get the most success out of, you know, their experience as they can. All right, so uh, we're with Tracy Hamm. Uh, she is the head coach of UC Davis, most recently of San Francisco State. So congratulations on your new position. I know this was acquired rather recently, right? Yes, yes. Uh, my first day was May 15th, so just about two weeks ago, exactly. So, yeah, very exciting. So you, you mentioned getting your license along the way. That was the suggestion and, and to, to help you move into the, the next stage. And that's uh, part of the basis for uh, this movie is your uh, your search for a coaching license. First, a badge here in the U.S. through U.S. soccer. But uh, what happened is uh, you hit a roadblock. Describe I- exactly uh, how you understood it and, and what the issues were with trying to get uh, what I guess at the start was a B license uh, here uh, through U.S. soccer. Yeah, so actually, so I, I had done my, my E and my F because I coached club when I was in, in college and you know, they required you to have those licenses. So I had done my E and my F license. I'd also done the NSCAA national diploma. Um, and, you know, all I wanted to do was actually just skip the D license um, and go into the C. Okay. So I just wanted to skip the kind of, you know, I don't think it was a national D, it was just the state D. And, you know, I felt like it was, you know, licenses are expensive. And, you know, I, I just felt like with the knowledge and experience that I had at that point, having been a technical director, um, you know, having coached in college, you know, at my alma mater and, you know, those experiences that, you know, the D was, it wasn't necessarily a waste of time, but it was something that I felt like I could skip and, and go into the C and that still having felt prepared. Well, the other um, aspect of that is, uh, and part of the prerequisite of skipping is what happens during your playing career. So describe that. I mean, you played on correct. the professional level, but at, there was a moment where there wasn't this uh, first tier pro league availability. Right, right. So I applied um, just to, to get waived into the C license and the requirements at the time to get waived into the C were to have, you had to have played three years professionally. And I played two years, but I graduated college in 2006 and the pro league hadn't started until 2009. So there was three years where there wasn't an opportunity for me to play professionally. So I play, I played in the WPSL, which was the highest league that was available. And my team had you know, Leslie Osborne and CC and Brandy Chastain and Tiffany Roberts and these national team players, they were all playing, you know, it was, it was basically professional. Um, and so U S soccer denied me. They said that I only had the two years and I didn't qualify. 
Um, so I felt like at that point, well, this is really unfair. And I didn't think that it was like a malicious intent by U.S. soccer to exclude women. I think when they wrote the rule for the waiver, they were just only considering men because the MLS was the only league that really existed at the time. So did you, you know, try I to go through like, any waiver process or try to speak to anybody at the whatever the highest level you could reach at U.S. soccer to just, uh, you know, <laughs> review this? I did. I mean, I had letters of reference, you know, and, you know, from Neil and like Leslie Gallimore, who's involved in, in U.S. soccer and, um, you know, had them kind of make phone calls and it just, you know, nothing ever kind of transpired from it. So at that point, you know, I looked at some of the other waiver requirements and there was a foreign waiver require or license, um, you know, requirement. And I was like, well, what's a foreign waiver? So I'm like, oh, I didn't, I hadn't even thought that other countries required licensing for coaches. I thought that was such a super American thing. Like we have to get licenses for everything, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I started looking abroad and I started, you know, I was like, well, I got to go to an English speaking country. So, you know, there's only a few countries in, in Europe that would do that. So um, I was looking around and I saw the Welsh FA had um, a residential license for the UEFA B and it was a professional player course. Um, this one particular week that offered a residence. And, you know, I thought, well, if U.S. soccer, my own country is not going to let me in, you know, for my professional experience, I don't know why European country would, but I applied anyway and they accepted me. And it was one of those moments for me where I was like, okay, well, that means I have to go now. <laughs> you know? um, right. So I, I, I went there and it was, you know, terrifying just by myself, had no idea what to expect. And also just kind of the weight that UEFA carries in terms of, you know, just the, the teams and the, the clubs and the international experience that comes out of that. Were you, you know, the, uh, were you the only woman? In, in your class? Um, I was one of, I was one of two. The other female that was there is actually from Wales. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, so now you're, so this is a, a big part of your journey. So you're, you're trying to, you know, build yourself to get the, uh, the biggest license or the, uh, the highest credential license or badge here in the States. So you go overseas. So a documentary is made on this. It's called coach. And this is part of the kicking and screening film festival. It'll be uh, Thursday night. June the 6th, uh, the uh, the premiere of this. I, is this the unveiling? Is this the first time it'll be uh, shown publicly? Uh, no, this is the third. We did a premiere in San Francisco, and then we actually did a premiere in New York two weeks ago, uh, Tribeca Film Fest or Tribeca Film Center. All right. Well, good. Yeah. So what uh, now, how does this it's it's a good story. And, and you, you know, the issue with U.S. soccer, you go overseas to get it. But why did it become a documentary? What what are uh, what are some of the aspects of this? <laughs> Well, so I, I got, I ended up getting my UEFA B and then I actually reapplied to U.S. soccer with my foreign license and they let me skip the C altogether and get into the U.S. soccer B, <laughs> which was really funny. I had to leave my country to skip the license I actually wanted to take. So anyway, so that experience was really funny and I was kind of like, okay, so after I got the B, um, you know, they were, the Welsh FA had said, you know, we we're going to do this international A because typically the way that they do it is you have to live in the country because they come visit you with your club team that you're coaching yeah. or your professional team or whatever, but they were going to allow this kind of cohort of international candidates. Um, so anyway, I, I was at this wedding um, in November of 2017 and um, you know, I met this woman that she's a Cal alumni also. She's the executive producer. Her name's Courtney Levinson. She's awesome. She's just like a gangster. She's, she's such a cool lady. <laughs> And, uh, 
so great energy. And so we're chatting at this wedding and, and I knew of her, you know, we kind of met at different Cal alumni events, but I'm telling her, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going, you know, in, uh, I just finished the first half of my UFA. I was there in June and she was like, this is incredible. So she kind of asked me all these different questions about like my experience and basically the conversation we just had. And she's like, people, someone, people need to know about this. Like women need to know this because when women see other women doing things, like they're going to be prone to doing it too. And they're going to be motivated. Like everyone needs to know this is happening. She's like, someone should make a movie about you. Like I want to make a movie and she does not make movies. She is a sports psychologist in New York and she's incredible in her field. Um, you know, and it was kind of one of those like funny, like wedding, like too many glasses of wine conversations, you know, (laughs) and, you know, fast forward three months later, I get this email from her and she's like, so I have a film crew and we're doing this. I was like, wait, what? And so she was like, do you, will you do this? And I was like, well, I'm not doing the UFA for any other reason other than like, I just want to be the best coach that I can possibly be in like professional development. And I got so much out of the B. It was the best thing I'd ever done for myself. So I just wanted more information. And she's like, yeah, but you know, Trace, like women need to see that you're doing this. And this needs to be noticed because at the time, um, you know, I'm the second American female with UFA license. And she's like, people need to go do this, especially if there's barriers in us soccer, you know, there's always been, you know, barriers and obstacles for women with U.S. soccer. So she's like, you know, people need to know that there's a different option and that, you know, you can have, you believe in yourself and have confidence and go find a different route, you know? So I was like, all right, well, it's for the greater good. Let's do this. Yeah, for sure. And, and did you find the fact that you're a woman uh, attempting to, to get your UEFA A and I, I mean, were there obstacles? Were there skeptics? I mean, how did you find that experience? Uh, being Um, in some cases, uh, you know, the lone female or one of the few. Yeah, I think, you know, talking to like men, you know, and women, you know, in my in my field in the United States telling them that I was going to do this, there was a lot of, you know, kind of wide eyes like, wow, okay, okay. You know, like, I, I couldn't really tell, like, are you confused? Are you jealous? Are you envious? Or are you like, this is really cool? Like, you know, it was definitely like a really interesting experience with it kind of talking about me going to do it. But I think the best part was that so many people are super motivated to go do the experience now. And I've, you know, I've loved it so much. And I've talked about my experience that now, you know, we're getting better, you know, coaches to go, go abroad and get different information and, you know, switch it up, which is really, really cool. So for me in that way, it's been amazing. Did you find that the instruction was uh, maybe a little different than you had received in some of the American uh, classes? Different. Yeah. In oh, what way? Like, uh, it just makes more sense. I'm like, no wonder you guys are really good over there. Okay. Um, a lot of it is just, it, it's way more functional and reality-based training and, um, you know, just, it, it makes, it makes more sense in the, in the ways that they structure the practice and the information and the detail. Um, but the UFA in particular, it was all about extracting detail from the game and then being able to make a training session based on the topic that you need to come out. Um, and way more about managing your opponent um, to create a, a training session that will affect the team that you're working with, um, you know, to solve problems. So, you know, a lot of the way that we do things in the United States is like super possession based, which is great, but there's not a lot of like structure and functionality um, in terms of like positional play. So, uh, you know, it's been it, a lot of it was foreign to me. 
you know, and I'm like, well, literally working on, (laughs) yeah, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Right. Like creating overloads in the wide area you only use, you know, your nine and your, sorry, your seven and your, your two and your, your 10, you know, and then, you know, you've got your, your opposition set up and I'm like, well, what are the other, you know, 15 players doing while you're working in this area? And they're like, looking at me super confused like well they're with the other coaches i'm like well what if you what if it's just you like what do you do with all the other kids and, no you know, those I'm are like, legitimate questions i mean you're not always yeah. going to have three or four assistants uh right. whether it's especially collegiate club. yeah club especially right right and i'm like i you know i'm like so it was actually really interesting i think for the instructors there to get feedback for like what right to deal you know especially with like field space and you know normally you've got like a quarter of a field to work with when you're coaching clubs so some of it's not super applicable but it was all really great information um you know i think as i kind of move up the coaching ranks um you know i can start to apply a lot of that you know more so but um, yeah, it's, it was, the instruction was just fantastic. I mean, it, my mind was blown every single day. Like I couldn't write fast enough. So awesome. Yeah. Uh, Tracy Ham, our guest, she's the uh, head women's coach at UC Davis, and she is the protagonist of the movie coach, which uh, will be seen at the kicking and screening film festival on Thursday, uh, June the 6th at the Scandinavian house uh, in New York. You said it's been shown a couple of times. What's the feedback, Ben? What, what have you, uh, what have you heard back uh, from those that have watched? Uh, it's been really positive. I think, you know, there's been, um, I think that the men that watch it tend to, you know, respond like, first of all, that's really kind of inspiring and cool that, you know, you put yourself in a really uncomfortable situation and manage to like stay positive and like work through it. But also it created this kind of idea, especially for the coaches watching it, like ref- like kind of self-reflection, like making sure, like thinking like, well, do I treat women like that? Or like, am I a supporter? Am I an advocate for women that are trying to move forward also? Or have I been, you know, an obstacle? So I think in that way, it's been really positive. Um, the women kind of in particular are ones that are, you know, they're more reflective of like, wow, I've had those same experiences. And I've had, you know, really similar situations where, you know, someone has doubted me or I've doubted myself. Um, you know, so in that way, it's more um, just kind of reality based for them because we've had like majorly like shared experiences. So I think it's great for them to kind of see me and how I handle some of those challenges and just move forward and hopefully give them some sort of, you know, motivation to stick it out. You're obviously a, a confident person. How did you develop that uh, part of your upbringing? Uh, where along the way did you feel like, uh, was it the fact you were an athlete and you, maybe you could dominate at times? What's that all about? I think probably a little of both. Um, I had very supportive parents. I grew up with two brothers and, you know, you got to fight to get attention, a middle girl. And, um, you know, I think I just, it being being part of sports has just been, you know, amazing um, and just an incredible kind of learning experience and, um you know, you've got to be tough. You have to have thick skin. And, you know, I think that confidence goes a long way. And there's, you know, there's definitely environments where, you know, maybe I don't have the most confidence, but you can certainly kind of fake yourself into it (laughs) and pretend that you do. Um, And that can go a long way too. So, um, yeah, I think that I've, you know, I've had a lot of support in my life, which has been great, but I've also put myself in really challenging situations and, um, you know, I've got my, my dad and I have a tattoo, a shared tattoo on our wrist that says TNP and it says it means take no prisoners. 
Um, and that's what my dad used to tell me before any sporting event, you know, starting when I was five years old. And I didn't really know what it meant until I got to college <laughs> and studying prisoners of war. And I was like, wow, I was like, this is really violent. Okay, cool. Um, but, you know, just kind of that, that mental toughness and that mentality of like, you know, when someone says you can't do something, um, I take that as even more motivation. Well, I, I think so. I saw a trailer for the movie and it closes with you as a, I don't know how old you are, four or five years old. And you take down a little boy. While you're oh. running up the field. I, I think, do I have that right? <laughs> yes, you do. Okay. Well, but yeah, hey, exactly. the timing of this uh, couldn't be better. I mean, the women in the game of soccer certainly being uh, a point of emphasis with the uh, Women's World Cup 2019 in France and the U.S. team. I mean, they are everywhere. You can't miss it, whether it's Time Magazine, Sports Illustrated. So um, with a focus on women and the uh, the effect uh, that you're going to uh, hopefully have on, on those that see it, whether they're men or women, pretty good timing. Yeah, it, it all worked out really, really well because, you know, I think initially the the process of getting the A took a lot longer than expected um, just because you've got to film sessions and there's so much work that goes into it. Like I actually just found out um, about a month ago, uh, actually, no, not even about two weeks ago that I did pass my A. Um, and I'd started that process like almost two and a half years ago. So the timing of me actually getting the A, because the whole point, you know, we're going to this documentary and making this film and I'm kind of, I'm not panicking, but it's taking so long to get all the stuff done and, you know, connect with my mentor, you know, and I'm like, what if she makes this movie and I don't actually get my A? Like, this is so embarrassing. Like, well, so the story, that it becomes a different kind of story, you know. Uh, totally, but uh... you know, but I'm like, I got to do this. <laughs> so... What's so cool is that, like, I get my A, you know, now we've got the couple film festivals coming up and, um, you know, they get to change some of the verbiage in the documentary that says, like, Tracy's not just pursuing it, like, Tracy has it now, which is super cool. You should bring her with you to, bring her with you to New York, you know, so you can hold it up at the end when you're speaking. (laughs) I know. So it's just cool. It coincides with all these, like, really fantastic moments and, and movements for women's soccer right now, so... Um, it's really nice to feel like I'm, I'm part of that. Um, well, congratulations. You know, but, and you have you. your U.S. soccer B. So uh, is it safe to assume that you'll be seeking your USA? I, you know what? I think, I think I, maybe know, not right this, not like, maybe not next week, but you know, when but, you have, yeah, exactly. I think, I think I'll probably do it next year. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, I'm like, I just super ambitious. I'm like, I need all of the things. Give me all the licenses. So, you know. I'm sure. I'm Do you sure have any? Years. You have any sort of a goal as a player? Your goal was to play professionally. I I would assume to maybe represent the country. But uh, on the coaching side now, is uh, do you have those sort of aspirations? Absolutely. I think you know my my end goal and something I'd love to be a part of is to coach the U.S. team, um, whether that be the senior team or the youth teams. Um, and, you know, and if not the United States, I'd love to coach internationally. Um, you know, I think that if the Champions League on the women's side in Europe keeps growing, that's something that I would consider also, um, you know, but right now I love the college game. I love working with that age group and that demographic. And, um, you know, I'm excited about my new position and, and making them their best. That's Tracy Ham, head women's coach at UC Davis and the protagonist in the documentary Coach at the KNS Film Festival Thursday night. For tickets, go to kickingandscreening.com. And that'll do it for this week's On Frame. Thanks to Brad Stuver, Dome Terrain, and Tracy Ham. This is Glenn Crooks.